We are in the third week of our series entitled God and uh, actually it's entitled Two Masters, God and Mammon in America. And as, as we've defined that word mammon before, we want to make sure we do that so we're all on the same page because it's not a common word nowadays. But it's, it was used in scripture to describe a, 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 a spirit of materialism, a, an attitude of uh, greed and, 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 and desiring wealth more than anything else. And Jesus himself said that a, that a man can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and you can't serve mammon. And some translations translate that money, but it's more, uh, more than just money. It's a greed and, and pursuit of wealth. And so we've been talking about that. We've been talking about our relationship with money and possessions and how to keep our possessions from possessing us. And we've been talking about biblical stewardship and kind of trying to approach it from a little bit different way this year. But we've been talking about how to live generously instead of living miserly. And so today we're going to be talking about a, a message. The title of the message is The Spirit of Generosity. And I'm going to read several selected portions of Scripture this morning. It's going to be a lengthy passage, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the spirit of generosity. But we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 35, verse 4. If you want to turn there or you want to pull it up on your, on your U version on your Bible... So you used to be able to hear people turning pages. Now, you know, you just listen for the squeak of the finger on the screen. That's what you listen for now. But I, Exodus 35, verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from, you, um, uh, from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen, goat's hair, Tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Now skip down to verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting. And for, its, uh, for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicated an offer, dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who, who possessed acacia wood or any use of the, work, of, of the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goat's hair and the leaders. And by the way, leaders... It means the wealthier, more prominent positions, successful people. doesn't mean they were like kings or anything. It says, and the leaders brought onyx, stones, and, and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Now, uh, flip over to uh, chapter 36, verse 1. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. 
And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to do the work, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word proclaimed throughout the land, let, let the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, they, they were restrained from giving for the material uh, that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Or as the King James Version says, that it was too much. Now verse, chapter 40, verse 34. Just one verse. Then the cloud covered the, te- the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray together as a people, humbly yielding ourselves before you. And we ask, Lord, that in the next few moments, your spirit would have such direct access to every heart, every mind, every intellect, every spirit. Lord, only you can do this. I, I, I know, Lord, I don't have the intellect. I, I don't have the talent. I don't have the energy. I don't have the wisdom to preach this the way that it needs to be heard today. But, Lord, I just yield what I have to you and ask, Lord, that you would make up the difference. So come, Holy Spirit, and, and have your way in our lives. Speak to us and change us by your word. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You know, this is one of the most fascinating stories in the entire account of the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, uh, because, you know, so much of the exodus account is, is sort of an up and down thing, isn't it? You know, where, uh, where God delivers his people and then they fall into backsliding. And then God has mercy on his people. And then they people, the people fall back into sin again. And then God works a miracle. And then the people fall into murmuring and, and, and rebellion. But, but this story is a little different. This story is just is such a pure-hearted, clear-eyed story of the people delighting in their God and God delighting in His people that it, that it beckons us to draw close to it and try to understand what happened here so, that, that so touched the, the heart of God and what happened here that so touched the hearts of the people. God reveals to Moses the, the plan for the tabernacle this great elaborate tent that would cover the Ark of the Covenant for the Holy of Holies, wherein God's glory would reside, reside as it were, uh, so that the people might know that He was present with them in their wanderings. And Moses went to the people and revealed the plan to them. Then according to the command, command of God, he said, Listen, this is the plan. This is what God said to do. So bring an offering, a free will offering, so that this can be made. Bring acacia woods. So that the things that God called to be made of acacia wood can be made. We, we have to have wood in order to make them. The carpets, the draperies, the linen, the, the, the cloths, the, the dyed ramskins, the, the leather for the outside. All that has to be contributed. He said we're going to need silver brackets and acacia uh, wood overlaid with gold. So that means we're going to need gold and silver. And, and now, many people who don't remember the Exodus account quite so clearly, clearly have a tendency, they might ask the question, they say, how in the world do these escaped slaves in the desert find all of these things? 
precious stones, onyx, gold, silver, all these great things. How did they find all of these things in order to give them? But you've got to remember, when God called Israel out of, out of Egypt, it was done finally by the, the tenth plague with the devastation of the death of all of the firstborn of Egypt, all who didn't have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. Uh, you remember that moment. But in that moment, after that happened, if you read the scripture, you'll find out that the, the Egyptian people... After that, they were so eager to get the, the Jews out of their midst that they loaded them down with jewels and gold and silver. They loaded them, loaded them down with every kind of treasure imagine, imaginable so that they would take these things and get out of Egypt. Because they felt that the presence of the Israelites among them was bringing the curse of God on them. So they just wanted them out. And, they wanted, and the truth is they sent them out rich. They, they, they were not just a bunch of ragtag people in the desert. They had much of Egypt's riches. However, and here's what we need to remember. They had no hope of getting any more. They walked out of Egypt with all of these riches, but there was no hope of getting any more. The the Red Sea had closed behind them. Their resources were dried up. They had the spoils of Egypt, but no hope of getting any more. Therefore, the natural human inclination in that moment would be to clutch at what they had. They had been in slavery from generation unto generation unto generation for 430 years I mean, do you get this? 430 years, they languished in slavery. And now, as it were, in a moment, in just this very short period of time, just like that, the bonds are broken, they're released, and they're free. And the people cross miraculously over dry land through the Red Sea. They had the gold, they had the jewels, they had the silver of the, of the Egyptians. They, they, they spoil Egypt as they leave. Now, don't you, don't you know that after being born and bred in slavery and then suddenly having wealth, that out there in the desert, that there would be a tendency to clutch at what they had. And Moses said, we're going to receive an offering to build this, this great tent, this great tabernacle for God. And he said, we're going to build this great tent and we're going to put gold and silver and jewels and all kinds of things in it. And, and, and what's going to live there? There's going to be a, a cloud of God's glory And we want you to contribute everything that we need to build this. I mean, don't you know, don't you think that that there would have been a tendency to, to, to look at this situation and say, Listen, I have never had anything my whole life but a little slave's portion in Goshen. You know, I've never got anything out of Egypt except the back of somebody's hand. And now I've got a few little rubies hidden away in the bottom of a sack of wheat. He's not getting my rubies. The women of Israel could have said, I never had anything. I I used to see my owner's wife walking around with all the gold jewelry on, but I never had anything. Now suddenly I've got a little bit of gold. I've got a little bracelet, a, a, a little ring, something beautiful, and I'm not giving it up for anything. There are men who had never owned anything. And now Moses suddenly says, bring any gold that you've got that you'd like to bring, and we'll melt it down and we'll make things out of it for the tabernacle. Put yourself in their places. Don't you know there must have been an impulse of the heart to say, I've never had any gold. I'm out here in the desert. I don't have any chance of getting any more gold. I'm going to clutch at what I've got. (coughs) Therefore, knowing that, God had to do a mighty work in them to free them up 
from that with which he had entrusted them. What they had, they had by the supernatural providence of God. But you know, the truth is, as soon as God gives anybody anything, he must then begin the process of freeing them and keeping them free from being owned by that with which he has trusted them. The most dangerous things in the world. You're going you're gonna, to you're, you're gonna be shocked when I, when I say this, but you, I think you'll see where I'm coming from. The most dangerous things in the world and the things that often keep us from God are, are often the blessings which God used to draw us to Him. God uses blessings to draw us closer to Him, but sometimes as soon as He gives us those blessings, we have a tendency to clutch it in our hot little hands and say, Mine. You know, I've seen this at different times with my, uh, with my girls, and every parent here can relate with this, and they're helping with the preschool uh, church today, so that means I can talk about them freely, and they won't even know it. But I, I've, I've had two experiences with them. One, and every parent can probably relate with this, you know, there have been times when uh, I've taken my girls uh, either individually or together to McDonald's and, you know, they, and they wanted some French fries because their French fries are really good. And I sat down with my girls at that, at that table and I wasn't really hungry and so I didn't order anything, but I got them the fries and, and I sat down with them and then as soon as they sat down, you know, does that happen to anybody else besides me? I look at them and I think... Man, you know, those fries actually look good. And so I would ask them, listen, I, I really don't want much of anything, but can daddy have a fry? And to have that child look at me and say no, when I'm the one who just bought those fries for them, I gave them the fry. I have credit cards in my pocket. I could buy every fry in this building if I wanted to. I am the source of your fries. And you're going to say no to me? But then you know what happens. They get a little bit older. And I remember a time going out, taking them for some ice cream. And it was the same kind of thing. I was trying to be good. You know, I, I decided I was going to watch my girlish figure. And, uh, and so I was not going to order ice cream. And we sat down. And, and guess what? That ice cream started looking good. And I started thinking to myself, man, you know. So I, sa- I say to my girls, now they're a little bit older, a little bit more mature. And I say, girls, can daddy have a bite? But you know, this time it was different. They didn't say no. But you can see there was that moment with the, with the wrestling. There's the moral quandary inside of them saying, what should I do in this moment? But then I've had my girls look at me and say, daddy, you can have all you want. Well, listen, that's what took place here. God says, that's exactly like this. God says, here's this gold, here are these jewels, here's this silver, here's everything that you've never had. You've been slaves for 430 years. Let me make you rich. I love you. Here's the blessings of Egypt, he says. And then he says, by the way, I want to make a tent to live in among you. Can I have some of your gold and silver? And something happened. Something wonderful happened. The Spirit of God worked a miracle in the hearts of these people. And they looked at God and they said, take all you want. 
Take all you want. They look back and they, they realize the miracle of freedom that they had. And out of the joy of being free from the slavery that they had, they said to God, you set us free. You gave us th- this so you can have all that you want, Lord God. You take it. And you know what? There's not one indication of a begrudging motive in one heart in all of Israel. They just said, take all you want. A spirit came on them. It was a spirit of liberality, a spirit of generosity. And multiple times we're told that their hearts were moved and that they had willing hearts. Look at chapter 35, verse 22. So they came, both men and women, All who were of a willing heart. This wasn't about compulsion. This wasn't about you better do this or else. This was about people saying, God, you asked for it. I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to bring everything you want, all that you want from me. I'm going to give it to you. This was the thing. There was a spirit that broke loose in the people of Israel and those who were moved by God to transcend their possessions that God had put in their hands. They did not clutch at their possessions. Therefore... Their possessions lost the power to clutch them. See, there is a direct link between the carnal man, the natural man, the the flesh man, the, the sin spirit, and the spirit of materialism. There's a direct link between both of those, and between the materialism and the spirit of materialism and the sinful nature, which is in every one of us. Don't lie to yourself about it. You know, people... Uh, uh, all the time get so spiritual they, they forget that. But every one of us, every one of us in this room has a capacity for car- carnality, a capacity for sin that has not been totally dealt with. Because every now and then we hear some story of somebody who did some horrible thing and we say things like, we say, oh, oh, I would never do that. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Given the right set of circumstances, without the restraining power of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the sovereign grace of Jesus, we are all capable of heinous evil. There is a sinful nature in me that is still alive. Even the Apostle Paul felt it. He said, that which I want to do, I just somehow, sometimes can't seem to make myself do it. And and when I say I'll never do that, I wind up doing it. And this is the Apostle Paul. There's a direct link between that carnal man, that sinful nature, and the spirit of materialism, the power of mammon. There's a direct link between the two. And the power of mammon pulls on the carnal man. That that spirit of materialism pulls on the fleshly nature. And it can direct our motives. It can direct our drive. It can hinder our dreams for God. It can challenge our ministry. It can pollute us. It can drag us into sin. It can hinder us. It It can be a chain wrapped around our feet that keeps us from running the race that God has set before us. The power of materialism, that the spirit of mammon, which is the spirit of the world, it pulls directly on that carnal man. But here's the, the thing I want you to hear. The spirit man is not pulled by the spirit of mammon. That part of you that God has created inside of you, the part of you that, that he has made new, that part of you that, that, that has come to life when you came to know Jesus... Is, is not pulled by the spirit of mammon. Therefore, the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. You can read about this all through the New Testament. So the question is, what action can the spirit man take 
that is contrary to the power of, of, of mammon to control the carnal man? What is it that we can do uh, that, we can, that will feed our spiritual man and starve the carnal man? You know, somebody once said, you know, when you talk about the, the two natures, the spirit, spiritual man and the carnal man, uh, they, they said it's like having two dogs that you're going to raise uh, and they're going to fight one another. And, and the, 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 the question is, which dog is going to win? The answer is, whichever one you feed. So what is it that's going to feed the spirit, spiritual man or it's going to starve the carnal man? Well, what can the spirit man do to break that chain? There is one thing which runs so contrary to the flesh, which so violates the law of carnality, which so assaults the senses of the spirit of mammon, that when the spiritual man does it, something in the carnal man actually breaks in its capacity to be controlled by the spirit of materialism. What is that thing? Well, that thing, my friends, is giving. Giving breaks the power of mammon over your sinful nature and strengthens your spiritual man inside of you. And giving runs so contrary to the thinking of the world and the thinking of the sinful sinful nature. The world says, this is the only diamond you're ever going to get, so clutch it. The world says that this is all you're ever going to have, so you keep control of it. And the spirit of mammon drags on that carnal man by using possessions. But the spiritual man looks at all of these things and says, no, 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 no. God is my source. The spiritual man says, God will provide. The spiritual man says, I am not owned by my things, nor is the kingdom of God made up of things. The spiritual man says, in giving, there is great reward. The spiritual man says, in giving, I find the character of God. The spiritual man takes delight in giving, but the carnal man cannot delight in giving and you say wait a minute wait a minute what about some backslidden reprobate businessman who gives a million dollars to some charitable cause didn't he delight in giving no he did not delight in giving because he did not give motivated by a pure heart as unto god He is operating out of some other motive. He's operating, maybe it makes him feel better about himself. Maybe it makes him feel better about having more than other people. But in in some way or another, there is some other need that is met in him. It is not a pure breaking of the power of the bondage of the ability to control that carnal man by the spirit of mammon. But, but a slave in the desert who for the first time in her life, her husband's never been able to buy her any, any nice things, no pair of earrings, never had anything in her life. She's been worked like a dog. Now suddenly she's wearing her mistress's uh, gold earrings and the spirit of God comes on her heart and with nothing to gain from it. Nobody's going to brag on her. There's no write-off on the taxes, nothing to gain from it. She suddenly willing heartedly openly gladly rejoicing pulls those golden earrings off and watches somebody melt them down and nail them onto a piece of wood only god can do that now don't over spiritualize this this story is a nail in my flesh it's it's a nail in every one of our flesh because there's something in every one of us that says hold on to what you've got but oh, the, the Spirit of God can teach us to give. The, the Spirit of God can do that. But why does the Spirit of God teach us to give? How does He teach us to give? Well, you know, I, I came across a fascinating story following World War II when the children of the Holocaust were liberated from, from prison camps. 
course, Europe was filled with orphans in the late 1940s. Not only the children uh, of the prison camps, but also orphans that were created just by war and bombing and that sort of thing, all the rest of that. And they were put into these large orphanages in Europe, largely in Germany. And they, they found that they could minister to these children in many, many ways. But one thing uh, that seemed to hamper the children the most was that they just couldn't sleep at night. They tried everything uh, that they could think of. They played music. They tried having an adult uh, stay on the floor and sleep with them. No matter what they did, the children were, would, were restless. And they would wake up in the middle of the night screaming uh, with nightmares. They just couldn't sleep. Finally, someone came up with this brilliant idea. And they gave these children each just a little piece of bread. And those, those children would take that bread and they would clutch it in their hands or they might stick it under their pillow or they might even put it underneath their mattress. And then when they did that, when they gave them the bread, these children just slept like babies. I hate to say that because babies don't really sleep. Uh, what's really sleep? They slept like house cats. <laughs> That's a better illustration, really. Why? Because they had been conditioned to starvation for so long, they didn't know whether the present bite of food that they had was going to be their last. So when they had something to clutch to for the future, they were able to sleep. If nothing else, they said, if everything else is gone tomorrow, at least I know that I'm going to have this little morsel of bread. But listen, my friends. That is not the mentality of a child of God. That's an orphan's mentality. That's a poverty mentality. And that has nothing to do with us. We know who our God is. We know that if God should say, give me everything you've got, everything you've got, we know that, he could give, that we could give all that we've got and we know that God would provide for us. So therefore, we have no fear in giving. That's why the rich young ruler failed. That's why it was such a disaster. It was not because he was too rich, but because he had a, a poverty mentality. He, he, said, he said, I have so much, if I let go of all of this, I'll never have this again. And he made the decision out of his carnal man, out of his sinful nature, but, but if he had somehow or another been able to pry himself loose, to get the entanglement of that spirit of mammon off of him that was controlling him, if he had somehow or another been able, by the grace of God, to find a will heart to say, oh yes, Jesus, I'll take care of it. I'll be right back. I, I, I heard one preacher say one time, and I don't believe this for a minute, but I heard one preacher say, well, if he had been willing to give it all away, Jesus would have said, no, now you don't have to. You can keep everything. I don't believe that. I'm sorry. I just don't. That would be convenient, but I find that Jesus doesn't always motive, operate by motive. Sometimes he operates by fact by obedience, and I think Jesus might well have said, go and sell all the, that you give and have and give it to the poor and come back to me. And the man said, yes, Lord. If he had said that, I think Jesus might well have said, fine, I'll sit right here and wait. Go call your CPA, go talk to your banker, go talk to your broker, get, get rid of your stocks and bonds. I'll be right here waiting for you. I just have, have the feeling sometimes Jesus says, I want you to follow through on some things. But that's, that's what happened here in the desert, a, a willing spirit, a spirit of liberality, a spirit of generosity, a spirit that went beyond begrudging obedience, just filled the whole congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness. But not, not only does it say it over, over and over again that their heart was willing, but it also repeatedly says this. It says that their offering was unto the Lord. 
Not to Moses, not to the tabernacle, not to the project. Their giving was unto God. They really didn't have all, all that much concern about what was, what was being done with their offering. They found somehow or another the confidence to sense that Moses had heard from God. And they said, God wants all that we have. He can have it all. I love this passage. It says in Exodus 36.3. I love this. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. Every morning. So he puts out the call and he says, all right, we need an offering. And, and so they, one day they, they, they would come and they say, okay, here's this gold and silver. And then they go home that night and they, they start thinking, you know what, that's just not enough. That's just, that's just not enough. Look at what God has done for me. I need to do more. And so they'd, they'd go back the next morning and they'd give, give, give some more. And then the next morning they'd wake up and say, you know, you know I, I've had that con- candelabra that we've got out on our table on my mind. I, I want to give that too. And they'd take that. And every morning they'd bring new offerings, morning after morning after morning after morning, because they were giving to God. You know, some years ago, an evangelist went to a church to preach a revival. And on the second night, a lady, lady met him at the altar, and she was just been all out of shape. And uh, they're standing there, and she said, well, I guess you've noticed our pipe organ. He said, well, you know, ma'am, I'm not much of, of a musician, so I haven't noticed it. So he turned and looked at it, and it was just this beautiful pipe organ. And he said, is it new? And she looked at him, she said, oh, it's new, all right. This pipe organ just just about split this church wide open. He said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. She said, do you know how much this pipe organ cost? He said, no. She said, well, it was over $150,000. She said, isn't that just a sin? And he looked at her and said, ma'am, whether it's a sin or not, I know not. He said, what I do know is that $150,000 for the pipe organ is not nearly as sinful as the bitterness you're feeling in your heart right now. That's what I love. See, evangelists, they got it great because they can say things like that and then just hit the road. (laughs) See, the people could have sat there and complained. They could have said to themselves, look at Moses taking all that gold and silver, hammering it into things and putting it in the tent. Everything's all gold and silver and scarlet and leather. And if I say, listen, if I say I'm not going to give because the building is too fancy or the pastor gets paid this or the youth pastor got, you know, wears too nice of clothing or, or, you know, Pastor Jason just bought a new pair of burgundy shoes or whatever it is he might have bought, you know, whatever it is, then you see, when we say that, then my offering is not unto God. If that's my attitude, then my offering is under the building or not under the building. Or my offering is under the pastor or not under the pastor. My offering is under the staff or not under the staff, but it's not under God. You know, I read a fascinating uh, statistic the other day. In uh, 1925, the Illinois Society of Architects, what must, they must have really fun parties. I just think about it. Illinois Society of Architects. All right, let's have a, never mind. Nobody's here on the same page with me. But they estimated the cost of building the temple, not the tabernacle the tent and the wilderness, but the big temple in Jerusalem. And they estimated the cost in terms of the 1925 economy, what it would cost to build the temple in Jerusalem. They estimated that it would, cost, it would be $85 billion. That's $85 billion in 1925 dollars. Now, what do you think $85 billion would be worth today 
You know, I mean, I did the research. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I learned that, that uh, $1,000 in 1925 would be the equivalent of $14,636.74 today. They get it right down to the penny. That means that it would cost, that what would cost $85 billion in 1925 would now cost over $1,244,122,900 today. Now, you, now, I'm going to just say this. When we talk about numbers like trillion, you know, you, you hear it like when you talk about the deficit. Everybody, there's just, it just goes over our head. We don't understand because we just think, well, that's just a big billion. That's what we think, right? But l- let me put it in perspective. Okay, if, if you, this, what can we do? Uh, let's say uh, if, you, if you took one of our back-to-school backpack cards, all right, so you got those, and you took them, and uh, and you were and you gave them out, gave a card out to one person every second, every second. Then and you did that after one million seconds, one million people handing out one million uh, cards that way every second of every day. That would be eleven and a half days. All right, that's that's significant. But if you did that for a billion people. You handed out a billion cards, one every second for a, for a, for a billion uh, seconds. That comes out to over just over 31 and a half years. All right, so big, big jump there. Now let's go to a trillion. If you did that and you handed out one card every second for one trillion years, uh, I'm excuse me, one trillion seconds, uh, one trillion seconds is equal to just over 31,688 years. So this is a big number. This, is, this was, this was a, um, uh, this, the temple was beautiful. It was, it, was, it was massive. It was ornate. And But Jesus, he did not go into the temple and look it around and say, well, this is sinful. No, he did not say that. He didn't do that at all. What did he say? He said, this is beautiful, but the real point is, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. Well, let's move on. The third thing is, not only did they give willingly, not only did they give as unto the Lord, but I like this one. They gave what they had. You know what? God is not unreasonable. Everybody needs to listen to this. God is not unreasonable. He does not expect you to give what you do not have. Those who had gold, silver, and bronze, guess what they gave? They gave gold, silver, and bronze. Those that had precious jewels, they gave precious jewels. Those that had fine cloth, they gave fine cloth. Those that gave, uh, had wood, they, that's what they gave. Those that had ram's wood, uh, ram skin dry, dyed red, I don't know what ram's wood would be, but ram skin dry, dyed red, they gave that. Those that said, I don't have anything. I want to give something, but I walked out of Egypt without anything. Moses said, go out and find a goat and, and bring me his skin. And they brought goat skins. And outside the tabernacle, the entire outside of the tabernacle was made by those who had the least to give. And as I read this passage, I, I had the picture of some man. You know, in his flight from Egypt, he carried nothing. He was just so excited to be free that he said, I don't want any of that gold or, or, or silver or jewels. I don't want any of that stuff from Egypt. I'm just free and I'm excited about it. And then Moses out in the wilderness says, come and let's bring the gold and the riches that we got from Egypt. and Let's build this beautiful tabernacle. And the man says, I didn't bring anything out of Egypt. I don't have anything. And Moses says, all right, you go and kill a goat and skin it. 
And I can just see this man as he's out there. He kills the goat. He begins to skin that goat. And I can just imagine him with the tears flowing down his face. And he's saying, God, this, this just looks like a miserable, bloody little sacrifice. What is this to you? Oh, God, this just doesn't look like very much. And I can see the Spirit of God coming on his heart and saying, Son, is it unto me? Is it unto me? I accept your effort. I accept your plans. I accept your sacrifice. I accept your labors. And I will cover the glory of my tabernacle with the fruit of your hands. Glory to God. The spirit of liberality, the spirit of generosity that burst loose in the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness should typify the church in every generation. Argumentative, jealous, penny-pinching, backbiting, gossiping, murmuring, stingy Christianity is contrary to the very character of God, but an open-hearted, open-handed, yielded, flowing spirit of liberality is like Jesus. And I go back and I think about Jesus in the temple. Sat in the temple with his disciples near the offering barrel and people came in and some guy walks in and he, and he writes a check for $1,000 and he waves it around and says, Hey, I'm writing a check for $1,000 for emissions, everybody. Let me just place this in here anonymously now. Jesus and, and the disciples are going to say, Ooh, ooh, look at that guy. He just, check him out. He just gave $1,000. And Jesus says, Mm-hmm. Pretty soon another man comes in, he writes a check for $10,000. I'm giving this check for $10,000 to missions. And the disciple says, ooh, look at that man. He put in $10,000, look at that. Jesus said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it happened over and over again. A few minutes later, a little old lady on Social Security walks in. She popped open her change purse. She turns it upside down and out falls two pennies. Now, Jesus is not out of touch with reality. He knows that it's 10 days until the first of the month. And he, he, she looked at that offering barrel and looked at those two pennies. And, and she looked at her empty change purse. And she said, thank you, God, and dropped those pennies in the offering. Jesus said, now that, that is an open-hearted, open-handed, generous offering. That woman has given all her money He said, that's the spirit of liberality. She didn't drop in one and hold back one because she was afraid of tomorrow. She didn't clutch at the crust of bread because she didn't know if God would provide. She said, these two pennies came from God and the next two pennies are going to come from God. I have nothing to fear. And she gave all that she had, all of her living. And Jesus said, that's real giving. Oh, that we would have a, Spirit of liberality. Oh, that we would live in the spirit of generosity. Do we have the faith to live like that? And I'm not just talking about bringing your offerings here, but blessing other people. Can we believe God to take care of us so that, to the point that, so that we can give with joy? Can we believe that God is really the source of all that we have and the source of our income? Can we believe to the point where, where the, bringing the tithe to Him is not begrudging or, or bringing a love offering to Him is not something that we resent, but something that we say, Oh, oh, you know what? I gave this, but, but I, I feel like I wanna, I, I call, I'm going to call pastor up because I want to do more for that. The Lord's laid in my heart. I want to do this. Can we, can we learn to live that way in a spirit of generosity? 
See, I believe with all my heart that God is calling us as a church and as individuals to, to live in a spirit of generosity. To give knowing that He is the source of all that we have and all that is in our lives. So I challenge you this morning. Take the challenge. See what God will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we want to live in a spirit of liberality and generosity.